0: And not once have they showed me anything, or not once have they uh, actually had a concrete example. And I'm just like, I just think you're uncomfortable. I don't, you don't like me because what I'm saying is wrong. You don't like me because what I'm saying is right, and you, that
1: makes you wrong, and that's uncomfortable to know. So I'm a really big fan, and one thing I love about your page is how much you engage with your audience when it comes to you know different questions. And so from having done that, what is something you've learned from them that surprised you? For, for my own community? Yes.
0: Uh, I, I'm i not surprised, but one of the things that people find surprising when I tell them is how many women follow me. But mm-hmm. uh, between one quarter, one third of my followers are women, which obviously is less than men, which is not surprising because it's, it it's the kind of talks almost just about men. But when people say, oh, women don't care. Women don't, you know, women don't care about men's issues. And I'm like, i got about 15,000 women that will tell you otherwise. And they're all here in the comments. And not only are they, they're in great numbers, but they are some of the most ferocious and fiercest and most loyal of my followers. So I'm very proud of them. I'm very thankful that they're there. And often when, if anyone stumbles into my account to sort of pick a fight with me, it's the band of women that go after them. And I'm like, okay, I'll let the women do their bit. <laughs> And I'll, I'll come in if, if needed, uh, very, very large contingent of very fierce, vocal women follow me. And that is not what people expect. And I'd like to remind people about any given opportunity. I know a lot of feminist accounts I talk to, I ask them about how it works for them. And they have about 10% men, perhaps at most, maybe even less. So for me to have 25, 30% women, hopefully is a reflection of women actually caring, but perhaps more so, my ability to talk in a way that isn't so divisive and that like women versus men and I try to bring women into the conversation because I genuinely think women are the best campaigners like women are excellent campaigners very organized very diligent very hardworking, and uh, you want them on your side if you want change in my opinion
1: it's interesting to hear about how everyone's conception in the beginning is there's no way that you can have a you know good chunk of female following and you know once they find that out i'm sure that's very surprising and encouraging for them when it comes to the ferocious you know female followers that you have Mm. you know what is their perspective on you know kind of the greater issue of what's going on with you know men and you know men's mental health well they i mean they they can never speak first-hand experience but they do
0: have 1st experience of having men in their lives that they care about and uh, there's a really great organization called the men and boys coalition and it's um the tagline something like a coalition for men and the women that love them and i'm like what a lovely thought like the idea that it's not just about men because women obviously love men too w- women have plenty of men in their lives that are important to them like fathers brothers especially sons i get a lot of mothers saying oh, i found your account and i'm a mother of two two sons and I really understand a little bit more about what they're going through so thank you and uh, i mean i always use a podcast as opportunity to shout out my friend susie bennett who is probably the most influential uh researcher into male suicide in the world and she's a woman and she's done better work than anyone i've met in my entire journey doing this account like if there's one person who i'd like to shout out it would be her and uh yeah like i mean and she has um a lot of personal experience with male suicide and i'm like Mm. This isn't about only men can understand and only men can sympathize because a lot of uh, women have men in their lives that are important to them and and those women should be heard too. And they do do understand. They maybe don't understand as men do or in the same way,
1: but these things are important to them too. I completely agree that whether it's a man speaking you know, about a woman's perspective or a woman speaking about a man's perspective, of course, you know, they'll never be able to know firsthand. Mm. I, I do think it's fascinating to, you know, kind of get that, um, third party perspective on, mm. you know, what their opinion is, you know, kind of with the issues that they see. Uh, I did see Susie Bennett a lot on your page and I'm happy you brought her up. Uh. What is misunderstood about the rise in male suicide, especially a young, uh, especially among young boys. Um, I wouldn't say it just
0: in the, in the area of boys, but mm. there is a movement, uh, away from the current biomedical model of suicide, uh, especially within men. So the biomedical model being that suicide is some sort of psychological problem, some sort of neurological chemical imbalance inside of the brains of men that's causing them to end their lives. And obviously a lot of people then prescribe prescription pharmaceuticals and stuff. Whereas increasingly, people are encouraging us not to see suicide as some sort of uh, chemical imbalance in a man's brain, but to see it more as a systemic issue that's putting pressure and expectations onto him uh, that mm. he is unable to achieve. A lot, of, a lot of the men who are suicidal don't consider, most men who are suicidal don't consider themselves to have a mental health problem. They have a, like a financial problem or relationship problem or a children problem. Uh, they don't consider themselves as being mentally unwell. Although, of course, mental illness is an important part, but suicide
1: is not primarily caused by mental health issues. It's interesting. This shift from, you know, something is internally wrong with me to actually, you know, this could be more pointed towards, you know, these systemic issues that, mm. you know, men face. Mm. It then gives someone so much more of a sense of control. Yeah. Because if they're like, I, I wasn't, if, it, if, it, if it's because I wasn't born this way, then that means that there's something that I can do about it. And I, I think that is a really important direction that... Validating I, think- I hope.
0: Like, a, yeah. No, sorry to interrupt you, but this, please. It's, like, I think it's very validating to say what's going on in that man's mind is not just some sort of psychological problem not you shouldn't be pathologized as being unwell he's he's experiencing a real problem I and mean, i've seen suicide recently described by a new study as a rational decision and a solution-based outcome that men make to help deal with a problem they can otherwise not fix so it's not like they're they're crazy they're literally in a situation they can't solve and in that moment suicide is actually a rational thing and it's horrible to say that Susie, in her research, which is always based on the testimony of men, boys, and bereaved families, Mm. she has so much first-hand experience of talking to suicidal men, and she's always like, when I listen to what these men are telling me about their lives, their environment, their experiences, she's like, I'm not surprised you don't want to be here anymore, like, I'm not surprised at all. Um, And I feel that's really, I hope that's validating for anyone listening to this, that you are not crazy you are not sick or unwell you can the problems you have can't necessarily be medicated away and you are valid in what you're experiencing and the problems you're experiencing are are, the problems you are experiencing are also valid and you are not toxic you are not suffering from some sort of patriarchal attack like you're a human being and you're dealing with real problems and i'm sorry people don't see see it or validate it in a way that it
1: ought to be I couldn't have said it any more beautifully myself, George. Thank you. When it comes to disaffected young men, one of the you know systemic issues that you talk about a lot on your page is mm. you know fatherlessness, mm. and you know there's this uh, very telling quote that you know you posted, which was Harriet Harmon was quoted as saying, "Fathers are not essential to a harmonious family life." Mm. and we know you know kind of the statistics that happen in a young boy's life you know if he grows up in a home without a father Mm. and all of the things that happen you know down the line if we try and steal man and you know gain some sort of compassion for what harriet said where Mm. do we think that's coming from why do we struggle
0: to have empathy for men? Or why do we devalue their role in families? Yes. Uh, I mean, there's loads of people that would point to male disposability, which is like we, how we see men as their lives and health is just less valuable than than women's. A lot of people say that is due to re- their, their lesser reproductive value. And that is a biological thing and I do sort of hate this biological essentialist perspective. Well, there is some value to it, but the idea is that uh, back in prehistoric times, uh, a, a tribe could actually afford to lose the majority of, of its men, and the tribe would survive. So the men would go out mm. to war, and they may not come back, and the tribe would continue. Whereas if that same proportion of women were lost, they, the tribe would probably be wiped out. Because obviously a, a single man or a group of men could actually repopulate a tribe but a small group of women could not do the same if it were the other way around. I don't think that's really good enough. I feel like that is in part true, but I just think we have lived in a political climate that has continually derided, ignored, and just dismissed men and boys' issues uh, or like diminished them for so long that just the idea of putting the words male disadvantage together, people would probably sign off this podcast just from hearing that and i i struggle to understand why those people feel that way because i'm not one of them but i just feel like we're indoctrinated into this idea of we only ever hear by the bad things men do and we so rarely hear about the good things they do we talk about a thing called gamma bias which is a new a theory uh from the bps there's like a cognitive distortion of masculinity where we simultaneously highlight or erase uh, the male sex depending on what we're talking about so We'll highlight mm. the male sex in the areas of perpetration and privilege. So we'll talk about male privilege and we'll talk about male violence, but we don't talk about the male sex in the same way in the area of victimhood. We rarely talk about male victimhood and we rarely talk about male celebration. So we erase maleness in victimhood and celebration and we highlight it in perpetration and privilege. And that that is a very interesting theory by Martin Seeger and John Barry called Gamma Bias that I recommend reading more into. And you see it in headlines, like you see something like 500 people killed in an earthquake, including 30 women. And you see, it's strange. I've seen one where it's like hundreds of people killed, including one woman. And I'm like, (laughs) you've totally erased the male sex and you've highlighted the one woman in that case. Um, And again, like whenever there's a crime, we hear a lot about male violence. We hear about knife man and gun man and con man and like all these very negative ideas around masculinity and then at the same time in areas where there's heroism like firefighters we take away fireman and we call it firefighters which is a good thing and I think we should stick with that but there's very little acknowledgement for male heroism because men do perform the vast majority of bystander rescues it's quite right that the person with the knife is probably a man but the people intervening risking their lives to save you are also men too So it's interesting how we talk about that situation in like a very one-sided way. And I feel like that, that does a lot to damage the reputation and brand identity
1: of men and boys. It's crazy to think about how in our language we have burned in phrases or ways of speaking Mm. that we don't even realize can you know disaffect you know an entire gender you know this entire group of men you know 500 people died including Mm. one woman Mm. or the other 499 men you know that's something i've never even thought about but i read Mm. across it every day and you know from that i can see how it shapes you know my own language
0: yeah yeah
1: especially in like iran for example where there's the
0: revolution which is a women's led revolution apparently but 90% of uh, deaths of the protesters are men and boys like the vast majority of protests being mm-hmm. killed are men and boys all of those executed are men and although there are women are paying the price too it's uh, strange how that's framed as a women's revolution when so many men are being killed uh, and so many men are standing up for the women they love and now you get to a point where in time magazine women that uh, women they were on were given were made the people of the year which is fair enough But then there's people in in the magazine saying, "I'm so proud of my Iranian sisters standing up for their rights in a in a brave way than any man ever could." And I'm like, there are plenty of men in Iran that are doing amazingly brave things and self-sacrificing things, and we never talk about them, but we should.
1: I completely agree, and it's sad to think about their names being lost in history Mm. after sacrificing and giving up so much. One of the things that you talk about are, you know, kind of the systemic issues that have led to, you know, boys and men being more disaffected and politics is a huge topic that you talk about on your page and how that affects the issue. You know, one specific trend that I saw was the percentage of young boys, you know, moving towards the right and leaving the left. Why yeah. do you think that migration is happening? Just think
0: the right are doing a better job, or by no means a good job, in talking about the issues that I I talk about. I mean I, I was and I'm a member of the left, but I I struggle to be to talk about it so as proudly as I once did. But mm. I feel like the left are very much enamored by identity politics and groupthink and uh I mean I, I talk about it in terms of Indiv- different failings, so the left are very much about men's issues are very much about individual failings, um, internal or internalized problems, not not structural problems as affect women. Uh, the left often talk about um, there not being any biological basis for sex differences, which is not true, because men and women are different and part that is partly biological. Um, the left are very much on the opinion of like, pathologizing naturally occurring parts of masculinity under the guise of things like toxic masculinity. And the left are very much cannot see, they see sort of discrimination, sexism only going one way, and that is to the impacting and harming women and girls. And that isn't the full truth either. Like it goes both ways. Sexism hurts men and it hurts women. And uh, those are just some of the failings I've seen on the left by my fellow lefties. And most of all, I'd say the left are not willing to see themselves as part of the problem. They're sort of, they're the hero of their own story as everyone is and for all their talk of accountability I see very little taken for themselves and that is probably the most ironic thing of all so that's probably why the left are losing men and boys and quite right to like uh, uh, there's a huge contingent of disaffected men and boys on the left who don't know who to vote for and this uh, election can mm. be swung by whoever dares appeal to them I think
1: yeah tolerance until it comes to an opinion that's different than ours. Yeah. Well, diversity of everything other than uh, <laughs> ideas, really.
0: Yes. Which is probably the most important part of diversity. A diversity of opinion, point of view. Uh, diversity of like, gender and ethnicity and sexuality and stuff like that. That's important, but they're sort of arbitrary in comparison to diversity of opinion. And the left are not, I don't seem to be very supportive of diversity of opinion uh, as they are diversity of everything else.
1: That is something funny I've seen as well. When we think about that shift from the left to the right, George, mm-hmm. you know, there was a period in time where there wasn't any interest to leave, you know for that group of young men. And so what did the environment look like when you know there was no interest for, for, for those young men to leave? you know, because clearly they're like, hey, like I, I like where I'm at and like the what the political party is saying or what you know kind of my community, is doing what was that shift what what, when what time when men and boys were more on the side of the left yes and then um something happened and obviously i'm sure it was you know multiple things over a period of time and then eventually boom so what did the left do correctly to keep them while they were there i mean a lot of things i talk about
0: the harriet harman quote you mentioned that's like 1990. She said that, or she published it. In fact, um, and I feel like it's quite a young, a new phenomenon. And um, mm. I don't, I honestly don't know. Like I think, I think men and boys' issues are increasing, and getting worse. And the longer the left don't acknowledge it, the worse it becomes, and the, the more men and boys will leave. But I don't necessarily think the left has changed. I just think the issues mm-hmm. I talk about, like suicide, uh, boys in education. Uh, those sort of things just haven't gone better and have gotten worse. And as they've gotten worse, the men and boys are just like, well, this clearly isn't the political wing for me, but I don't think, I think the left have been mm. really inadequate and incompetent for my entire life. I think I've just become more aware of it to be honest, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure I wouldn't, wouldn't want to give you an answer cause I don't, I don't know if there's ever been a time where the left have been that effective for men and boys.
1: Yeah, and one thing I appreciate is the frame to which you're speaking from George, because you know, you mentioned you identify as, you know, being a part of the left, but you're still able to give, you know, constructive feedback on what you're seeing and mm-hmm. kind of the shortcomings of what's going on. I think that is something that is lost on both sides and something we could all be better at. Mm. When you think about not having a male role model to look up to, you know, whether that is you know a father figure mm. or a male teacher at school, what we then cling onto are you know these figures that we see on social media. Mm. And so, what advice would you have for disaffected young men to make sure that they're not idolizing a grifter, so to speak, and someone that is actually a, a positive figure? That can drive them forward? Um,
0: I honestly don't know. Like, I don't know who the male role models are. I mean, there's a few people that I think are excellent, but not enough. I, 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 mm. I don't know if there is a substitute that's going to sort of bring the, the boys and young men away from the grifters like Andrew Tate. I don't, I don't, I really don't have much of a solution. I know there's people that call me out when I say that and they'll, they'll throw up a handful of names and I'm like, no one knows who they are. They're very small. Like, mm. no one, like what, Who are you talking about? There is very few men in the mass media who are celebrated specifically for their masculinity. Um, and I don't have a an answer. And if anything, that's an answer in and, of, in and of itself. The fact that I don't know. And I'm looking like it's not like I wouldn't know if there were <laughs> if there were some. I just think there are role models in and around our personal life, like a father, an uncle, a friend, brother, a teacher perhaps, but not enough. And mm. I think the solution is more not saying this is a solution for the boys to solve, but more the fact that there is a complete lack of father father figures, a complete lack of male teachers in school, a complete lack of positive male role models on our TVs and in our cartoons and films and media in general. And then obviously you compound that things I talked about, how just in general we highlight the the badness of men and we don't look at the goodness of men. And I feel like there's just a massive, it's a massive problem of various different elements and there's no single one person that can save us, unfortunately. I really wish there were. I mean, I do think, I watched the, the Arnie documentary recently on Netflix and totally changed my opinion of him. I, I didn't realize he was so thoughtful and sensitive and smart and hardworking, so... Arnold Schwarzenegger is a great answer to a typically masculine role model who who I think we can learn a lot from especially boys
1: but Arnold is not the answer either he's
0: just he's just one person
1: yeah what I imagine is it won't just be you know one figure that we can put you know at the top of you know our pyramid of people that we Mm. look up to it'll be you know kind of this you know, different pockets of, you know, here and here and here and here. Mm. And so, you know, for example, you know, George, I think I would definitely consider you, you know, in that class of people that disaffected young men can look up to. And so the reason I say that is because you clearly are very steadfast in the purpose and the work that you're doing. And that is something i can see that you take very clearly when you kind of think about why this is so important to you george where does that come from i just think i'm very <laughs> i'm just very
0: self-righteous and i've got very thick skin and i've spent a lot of my time my life learning different creative out out um outputs different creative skill sets not just in design and copywriting as a Tin men but in various like animation filmmaking photography uh, branding I just think I have a wide set of creative skills I'm extraordinarily self righteous to my own detriment and I don't give up easily and I'm willing to take shit from left and right from all sides and I I just fundamentally believe in never giving up on the things that you love and I really really enjoy my account and I'm not gonna stop anytime soon unless someone can prove me wrong like like if anything i mean i talk about this often and it's like there is very little reward for me in this account like financially speaking it takes a huge financial toll emotional toll social toll um hang on one second I'll just pause it one sec no problem oh, 0812 and another 08 oh, sorry and that's okay <laughs> i'll rewind that oh that's my fault um that <laughs> no worries uh, I'm saying that there's this very it, my account takes a huge emotional financial time based toll on me like it doesn't make any rational like um, sense for me to keep doing it especially not the, the amount of time I pour into it it's only going to harm my career it's only going to harm my my friends and family it's only going to push me away from people that actually like me um, and in that view I, I, I actually want someone to say the right combination of words or show me things in a certain way where I'm like oh I've been wrong all this time. I am wrong. I can't believe I got it. Everything I said doesn't matter. All the studies I found are not true. I've just been grifted. I've been, oh, I've totally been bamboozled. But that hasn't happened. And I genuinely would like someone to do that because then I can go back to my normal life and I could spend more time with my girlfriend and I could spend more time doing my actual job. And maybe I'd be a lot more time rich and my mental health would be a lot lot better probably. And I'm genuinely asking people to do that. The amount of people I've asked to have a live discussion About how problematic I am. And they've never accepted it. And I'm like. Well I'll keep on going then. Like. In a a way. No one wants me to be wrong. More than I do. So then I could get back to a normal life. Just like everyone else. And I would stop feeling like. I'm the insane one. In a world of everyone else. But um. Yeah I mean. I just like. I'm a hard worker. And I don't care what people think. And I, I don't. I would never give up on the things that I love. And. One of the things I love is this account and the impact I'm having. So f- for the time being, I'm going to keep going.
1: I'm never going to stop doing the things that I love. That's a powerful yeah. statement, George.
0: Well, it's just like a life mantra:
1: never give up on the things that you love or people that you love. Uh,
0: and like, I just feel like at the end of my life, I don't want to have regrets like that. And uh, um, that's why I keep going. And it sort of it is rewarding. I know I painted a very dull image, but I get the amount of support I get, like personal support, the amount of messages I get every single day, really, really does help. And it's not to say I'm, I'm just self-sacrificing all the time. Because I do genuinely get stuff out of it. It's just not, it's not money. Like there was no money here, and I feel like the fact that I get no money, uh, and there are no brand deals for me, uh, I think that shows I'm authentic at the very least. Whether you agree or disagree, that I am saying what I think. I'm not sort of speaking on behalf of some sort of political agenda or some sort of brand campaign or some sort of product behind the scenes. This is, these are my words. Whether you agree or disagree, at least I'm being authentic.
1: There's no super PAC funding you. <laughs> no, wow. no. <well>, oh no. <laughs> <not> yeah. <laughs> George, are you making the type of content that you wish you had growing up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, on the side, my actual job,
0: which is what keeps the lights on and pays my mortgage, is I am a professional creative, so I help brands solve problems for various different creative outlets. And I do love it. I'm very lucky to do what I love for my job. Uh, but I will, I do get frustrated at my clients and how mm. I often get into a position where they, they're basically telling me what to do. And I'm like, I do, it frustrates me because I do feel like I know what I'm doing. I do feel like I know best in that situation. When it comes to my job, like I do feel like I know, I know what I'm doing and I wish more clients would just let me do my job um, and, and work from the experience that I've gained over 15 years of doing it, but that doesn't happen. So I, if one of the things I gain from the Tin Men is a creative outlet for myself where I get complete autonomy of what I say and how I say it, and I haven't got a client that's breathing down my neck telling me what to do, and wasting my time. I can get I can get really high quality content out fast because it's just me doing it. And so I appreciate the creative autonomy my page gives me. And it's very, it's interesting how at like the one time I've had complete creative autonomy is the most successful project I've ever done. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And if I were braver to show my clients this page, which I haven't done, perhaps they would learn that lesson too. But I am grateful for my clients. I'm very privileged to work doing what I love. For my job, and I'm even more privileged to now have this account. That gives me even greater sense of creative freedom. And I really, really appreciate that.
1: Mm. So what the initial question was was you know, thinking about growing up for you, you know, are you making the type of content that you know you wish you had seen or had? And then the direction you took it was. Yeah. Oh, creative autonomy and so i just wanted to make sure you know was creative autonomy something that you feel like you lacked and then now this is your time to kind of get to express that more Mm. yeah yeah no 100 percent. but in terms of Mm. like actual space i'm in yeah
0: i saw i saw another like um it's a huge gap in the market for really high quality well sourced Mm. well made thoughtful inclusive but also unapologetic content around men and boys' advocacy. Like the like I'm one of my biggest interests is like branding and how you can reposition an organizational movement through branding, through changing tone of voice, through changing colour and design style and creative strategy. And I looked at Men and Boys' advocacy and I looked at the data. I looked at the studies and the, and the the incredible expert testimony that were supporting these in huge issues. And I was like, why the hell isn't all doing anything? Like there were so many studies substantiating what I talk about so many world leading experts that are saying these very things and, and the world is just not listening. Their head is buried in the sand and I'm like, mm. the data is there. The experts are there. The issues are relevant and huge and undeniable. And yet it's not re- like resonating with people. So I was like, maybe that's a brand identity problem. Maybe someone like me is what that needs. Maybe I can take the same things and reorganize them in a different way that hopefully will unlock people's compassion and awareness for men and boys. And I've had some success, but I'm also a little, little bit disappointed that there aren't more people giving a shit. Because I'm like, I feel like I put in a lot of effort, and I've made very compelling arguments, and it still has not reverberated in the way I would have hoped or thought it might. enough you know, three or four years ago, but you no know, progress is still progress. And yeah, you're right. It's a very interesting challenge, a lifelong challenge. Why of like, how do I take this movement? like m- like men's right activism, MRA, which I don't consider myself, is such, everyone seems to hate it. Like it's seen as like white supremacy, adjacent to white supremacy, it's seen as adjacent to n- being a Nazi, it's seen as being adjacent to like the alt-right. And I'm like, it's really, really not. Like it's really, really important. So to rebrand a movement that's seen as adjacent to white supremacy and to reframe it in a way in which it deserves to be seen as really, really important, is a big challenge for anyone and <laughs> one, one that's going to take me a while, but it's certainly rewarding and I do like a challenge. So yes, it's it's. I'd like to help. I'd think I've helped fill that gap, that new style of discourse of our men and boys that isn't just angry, flinging shit everywhere and that actually a bit more evidence-based and graceful. But at the same time, I don't want to round off completely, be all namby-pamby and apologetic.
1: So it's, it's a balancing act. This idea of taking an idea and Mm. noticing that it's packaged in a way that isn't being received well, and then being like, okay, so how can I take that same idea and package it in a way that people will actually receive it, uh, I think is something so fascinating. Uh, That's something I'm going to have to mull over because that topic- I think can be applied to so many different things. Do you? Uh, on a side note, do you know who Johnny Harris is? He's a big yeah, Johnny Harris, yeah, yeah. Yes. That's what I want to be.
0: Where is Johnny? Yes. Is he there? Do you know him? Is he a mate? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his phone number. I mean, is that, I mean, Johnny Harris is excellent. His filmmaking is brilliant. That's the sort. Of, yes. that's the sort of level I want to be at, and I can actually do that. Like I am a, I am a filmmaker, and I can make his, his films are brilliant. His, his designs and animations are fantastic. That's where I want to be. But he has money. I don't have money. He talks about things that are important and are very brandable. But I don't, unfortunately, have that benefit. So Johnny Harris, excellent. Really, really good. And he really sounds like a great guy.
1: And that's, yeah, he's a bit of a role model, actually. I should
0: watch more of his content.
1: I'm glad you know him because I've been doing a lot of research on him and a bunch of people that he used to work with at Vox, and mm. you know who do a lot of a similar type of content. Mm. and he he gave a great talk where he talked exactly about the concepts that you brought up of kind of the inspiration of Tin men, you know, which mm. was he, you know, kind of put side by side a news story. And, you know to the left, or on one end it was packaged in a way that traditional news outlets do reporting super boring. It could be like the super interesting story, but the way that it's presented, no one watches it. And then on the other end, you know, he posted, you know, his video and talked about how important the package that a message is delivered um, is when it comes to, you know, people being, people being receptive to kind of what's being said. Um, and so that's immediately what got brought up for me. Uh, in terms of, you know, you aspiring for the ability to, you know, make that level of content and type of content one day, uh, it's fascinating you say that. And um, we, we should have a conversation offline about that. And I'll tell you why, but I'll bring that up later. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like my, um, my, my ultimate goal is is to make a documentary, to make a series of video essays, perhaps like Johnny, like Johnny <laughs> and yes. uh, to get uh, my, my Instagram page start off, as it's somewhat of like a research and development for that documentary. I want to work out what issues people want to talk about, which ones do they not want to talk about? How do I talk about this very sensitive issue in a way that people are willing to listen to and find more palatable while, without rounding off too much at it's sort of just meaningless niceties. So I'm learning every single day. I'm putting up posts and people like it. I'm putting posts and people don't. Every single day I'm learning about what creative strategy works best. And then eventually, if I do get money, I will put that into a documentary, and hopefully Johnny will be proud of me. (laughs) I don't. When you say I know him, I don't know him. I wish I only wish I did.
1: I only know of him, and he's excellent. I completely agree. Uh, His work (laughs) is incredible. George, one of the greatest pieces of wisdom that I've heard is the people that we are most able to speak to Mm. are the people that we once were. Would you consider yourself a disaffected, or when you were younger, would you consider that younger version of George disaffected?
0: Um, I feel like I've definitely learned a lot. I feel like I do, yeah, I haven't thought about it that way, but I do feel like I'm talking to my former self maybe 10 years ago. That mm-hmm. I, a lot of the things I'm undoing now and trying to, not necessarily undo, but widen, widen people's opinion. The opinion that I'm trying to widen is actually George circa 2020, 2010. Like that's the person I'm speaking to. I don't think it's just me. And I take that as a huge compliment saying that people I've, I talked to are are like me or who I was because my community is excellent. And like, to be compared to my community is a huge compliment. I just love people yes. talking on there are very, very, very intelligent. Not not all of them. There's always the occasional troll, but in general, the conversations happening on the page, I think are excellent, and I'm very proud of him. Um, so always always scroll down to the comments after reading a post. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I have changed my mind over time. I was very much of the opinion of you know, male privilege and men's issues don't exist and domestic violence is a gender issue and patriarchy X Y Z, and I was all, I was almost brought around to the idea of toxic masculinity at one point. And then over the last five years, perhaps, especially since lockdown, I've really put more time into understanding in good faith these catchphrases I'd throw out there. And I found Mm -hmm. out a lot of them are just not true or not completely true. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of my friends who were friends with the former version of myself just don't wanna be my friend anymore. And I'm like, that's fine. That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Yeah, I think I have slowly grown. I wasn't always this way. And I think I've had my mind changed a lot. And I'm looking forward to changing it again uh, for the rest of my life.
1: You mentioned losing friends along the way as a result of standing up for what you believe in. Yeah. How did that feel, George?
0: Uh... I mean it's sad but at the same time they were clearly not my friends anyway like someone that's going to stop being my friend because of things i believe things that are that are not like misogynistic someone to not be my friend as a result of that i would be like you're just thin-skinned and very politically brittle and i don't want people in my life that can't have honest conversations and i'd often ask these people like okay i've said something you don't like can you please show me what it is I've said, like uh, an example, like just, let's not have this in an abstract way. Can you show me something I've posted or said, or a series of words I put up that have made me so deplorable, and not once have they showed me anything, or not once have they uh, actually had a concrete example? and I'm just like, I just think you're uncomfortable I don't you don't like me because what I'm saying is wrong. you don't like me because what I'm saying is right, and you that makes you wrong and that's uncomfortable to know. That you've been wrong about something you believe so passionately for so long. And it's embarrassing. I was embarrassed. I always compare I, I compare it a little bit to like walking around with food between your teeth all day and then at the end of the day look between look in the mirror and you see you see it and it's embarrassing. That's how it feels sometimes politically. that people badge themselves with their political opinions. People make it their entire identity. People quite literally buy the t-shirt. And when you've walked around wearing a t-shirt saying something and at the end of the day you find out that t-shirt isn't necessarily correct. It is embarrassing, but and know people aren't willing to go through that, people don't don't care enough to change their opinions, especially when their opinions so virtuous and accrue so much social currency from their friends. So when your when your political opinions are baked into your identity, your friendship groups, your job, uh, everything about you, about you, and changing your opinions will come at the cost of potentially alienating yourself from those groups and jobs. A lot of people don't want to do it and I can understand why but I'm just not one of those people and although I have lost friends I've made way more way way more I've met some incredible people such as yourself and like the people I've met on this journey are amazing and I'm so lucky and I'm happy I'm so so happy to swap them in for the old for the old ones I mean everyone I mean my life my life's been completely transformed and the conversations I have at the pub now are so interesting and they're not all agreeing and but they're not the same boring, antiquated conversations I used to have. So I'm grateful and I'm looking forward to who comes next and plenty more opportunities I'm sure to come, plenty more amazing people. Uh, so yeah, no, it's not, it's not a sob story. So put away your violin. I I've, I'm very lucky to have the community and I'm blessed with plenty of new friends who
1: I'm grateful for. You touch on something so important, which was the people that i lost along the way did i really want to keep them um as friends if the relationship was so easy for us to lose mm. because i think that fear of what people will think is one of the biggest things holding people back mm. to speak up mm. on something that they believe in and you know this kind of realization that hopefully they can have which you know you speak on is what you lose is going to be so insignificant compared to what you'll gain, and, and more real,
0: more authentic. Like that, I they were friends of someone who I was pretending to be, I suppose. And I'm, like, I don't want to pretend, and like, this is who I am. And if you don't want to be the friend of this person, then consider yourself not having been a friend to start with. But yeah, and it, yeah, it's more rewarding and more authentic, and like, it's so much easier now don't have to pretend to be someone else. I cannot say what I be- believe and passionate about the things I'm passionate about. And often people are reciprocally passionate too. And it's amazing. I really, really, really
1: I treasure those relationships, the new ones. There's something beautiful about the light that shines through in someone when they're speaking on something that they're truly passionate about. And uh, George just wanted to say that radiates very well from you. Well, you know, I'm one of the. <laughs> sometimes at a pub it's like okay that's enough stop it stop we're going on. one of the things you brought up was social currency so yeah how does how does social currency and performative activism play a role in what people post on social media
0: well i i mean i guess you, you, this is where you come to the t- idea of being woke and people i used to consider myself woke that was something i'll be like yeah i'm seriously woke <laughs> I mean increasingly it's sort of become the more distant I become the more I see this woke this it seems to be more about looking good than doing good like it's all about presenting yourself as virtuous and pure and self-righteous and whether or not your ideas have actually any sort of positive impact or utility outside of your own sort of narcissistic social beneficial point of view is questionable and like people People too often pick their political opinions on what is most socially beneficial or fashionable to them. And they are fashionable for now. But looking back, I don't know how fashionable they'll be because obviously fashion changes, fashion is fickle. But often I, I compared it recently to like how if anyone, if you look back at yourself 10 years ago and you look at your the clothes you wore, your hairstyle, it is horrific. It is so embarrassing. And like myself included, my hair is barely acceptable now but you should have seen it. You should have seen it back then. You should have seen what I wore. And at the time, at the time, I thought that was a great hairstyle. At the time, I thought I was the coolest cat in the neighborhood. But looking back, I'm like this. I'm like, oh, I can't believe, I cannot believe I wore a full piece velour tracksuit to college. (laughs) Genuinely, it's embarrassing. But, and I wonder, is that same phenomenon going to be true when we look back at our political opinions of today and we're like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I tweeted that. And I'm, I'm continually thinking of, I want the future version of myself to be proud of who I am today. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of people looking through their fingers and just shaking their head at the things they've done today, 10 years, 20 years from now, because that's how fashion changes. And if you wear your political ideas as a fashion accessory, which people seem to do, when that fashion changes, you're going to look kind of silly. You're going to be the equivalent of the, the floor tracksuit I used to wear. But more embarrassing, if anything, if that's possible. God, honestly, it was horrific. Seriously <laughs> bad. Seriously bad. <laughs> Did
1: you grow up on MySpace, George? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. MySpace and Facebook. Okay, the reason I say is because uh, looking back at statuses that I posted when I was like in middle school and high school are oh, so cringe. cringe, 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 <laughs> cringe. Honestly, I used, to play, I used to play my college
0: basketball team, and I like, tr- I dressed apart as well. Let's just put it that way. So we're like these big, stupid basketball shoes. Air Force ones, like North Face tracksuit, just so much gel in my hair. And I'm like, No level 10. (laughs) Don't be that person. I think we'll look back at the stuff we said today with a similar sense of embarrassment and shame. And uh, I don't wanna be one of those people
1: if possible. This is fascinating because this is something I've given a lot of thought about to this question i'm about to ask which is have you reflected on guardrails or you know ways that we can hedge you know the risk that what we're saying now we're going to be embarrassed about when we Mm. look 10 years back from now yeah i mean i think one of the things i've got to remind
0: myself of is that you don't need to pull the other side down to lift yours up and i'd like to I like Mm. to consider what I'm saying is adding to the conversation. I'm not denying the conversation. I'm adding to it. I'm widening discourse and deepening compassion. When I talk about men who are victims of domestic violence, I'm not trying to say that female victims of domestic violence don't exist or don't matter. I'm saying they matter and um, so do men. It's not either or. It's both and, both and. And that's why I feel like, I'm in a really good position in debates because everything the person's mm-hmm. debating, saying at me, I'm like, I do agree with you. I do agree. Sexual harassment's a problem. Cat calling is horrific. Sexual abuse is a massive problem against women. And uh, we, we should have more opportunities for women and girls. Um, but that doesn't negate what I'm saying about men and boys. I agree with you. Everything you said is, a, a, I agree. I'm adding to that. And that's often where I'll win the argument because they their, their beliefs are predicated on denying what I'm saying. So when I say there's 5 million abused women and 3.9, sorry, 5.9 abused women, 3.9 abused men in the UK, they are the ones denying my half and I'm accepting what they're saying and I'm adding to it. I'm trying to treat, I'm trying to see social issues rather than genders. I'm trying to see the whole, everyone, I don't think anyone should be left behind. Even if it's just one man being abused, that man deserves to be talked about. But unfortunately it's a lot more than one, it's millions. And uh, I mean, one in three victims of abuse is a man, if not more and they deserve to be mentioned within the context of domestic violence, not ignored or erased as they have been up until now. So yeah, I'll, was just, I'll just say, make sure you're adding to the conversation. You're not denying that like you don't achieve equality by pulling the other side down. It's not a seesaw, and like
1: we can lift both sides up. I completely agree. and The reason I like that as a guardrail is because if you look at, you know, what has lasted throughout Mm. history, then that's kind of what I try and point towards to always try and come from. So for example, you know, I've been really reflecting on, you know, what are, you know, core pillars that have existed across, you know, a millennia that I can, you know, rest my values on that Mm. I know, you know, will be a strong foundation. And, Mm. you know, things like, okay, if I rest my identity in service to others Mm. in, hard work in family, faith, friends, like these are things that have always stayed consistent no matter what. And I'm willing to bet, you know, every penny that I have that 10 years from now, if I talk about those things, then I know I'll be proud of having said them. And th- mm. because there's no way that those are going to change. Uh, mm. similar to you, I am hoping one day that, okay, maybe someone proves me wrong. And if they do, then I'll be like, man, then that's that'll be like mind-blowing you know but the day until it happens um i'm gonna continue to be acting you know from that frame well for me that thing is liberalism i think is the thing that has stood
0: the test of time and liberalism being this freedom and the belief in the individual so liberalism, the actual liberalism like in terms of classical liberalism, not this crazy new con- new version of liberalism, which is not liberal in any any kind of way. Liberalism is about freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of markets, small government, and the importance of the individual. The liberalism of today is about not freedom of speech, not freedom of markets, about socialism. It's not about individuals, it's about groups, um, and it's about like big government. Uh, so going to the original OG classical li- liberalism, Um, which is all about the sovereignty of the individual. It's about treating people as individuals first, not as a member of a group. So you don't see me as a white straight man primarily, although I am that and that does does influence who I am. You see me as George and George is the product of his own personal experiences, has his own ideas and he isn't defined by his group. The group is important, but primarily he's an individual. So as a liberal, I would say treat the individual first, not a person who's a member of a wider group. And that, that for me, has stood the test of time, liberalism, and I'm willing to stick with that. I think treating people as individuals is a really, really safe bet and something we should do more, more of, I think.
1: Beautifully said. And when it comes to how we can make you know real change, I love the way that Jordan Peterson has framed this exact topic that you brought up is, the mistake people can make is before they change themselves as an individual, they try to change the world. Mm. And then so who am I to change the world if, you know, my room isn't even clean? And so yeah. what I can begin to do is work on myself as an individual and I'm like, "Hey, mm. you know, that's going well. So what about my relationship with my significant other?" Hey, like that's going well. "What about my relationship with my friends?" And then you constantly go up from there to the point where it's like, "Oh my gosh, my whole community is good george mm. so mm. what's one step up from that and it's just like domino effect of working your way from the bottom up versus top to bottom which is you know something yeah. that you kind of spoke about and that's kind of what came up to me which is so fascinating yeah no 100 percent. i mean there's certain things i like about Jordan, certain
0: things i don't but that's one of the things i do like and i do feel like everyone wants to change the world but there's a few steps between now and changing <laughs> the world and we need to be unafraid of talking about them and one of them is just cleaning your room i feel like I always just, I thought this before pre-Jordan Peterson. So I want to take credit. But <laughs> I was always just like, as long as my room is clean and everything's well presented. And as long as I'm like in good shape, I go, go in, I'm exercising regularly. That's good enough for me. Like that is, I don't have to be hugely successful. I don't have to have an amazing career. I don't have to be wealthy. I don't have to own loads of properties. I don't have to be in a relationship. As long as I'm in good shape and I have a clean bedroom, that is square one for me. And now I still have those things, but I have added to it. It reminds me of like a a story someone told me of a university lecturer who sat down all of his students, still wet behind the ears, still sort of naive to the world. And he said, every one of you in this room wants to change the world. And that's great. That is why you're here. But I want you all to know it's okay if you change the world for just one person. And it's okay if that person is you. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Everyone just changes the world for themselves. Then the whole world will actually be changed and it starts with cleaning your room and other things and um, that are not benign that are, that, are, that are literally the first step like a, a journey of a thousand steps to the start of the first step and that for many people is one and obviously it builds up incrementally and it does have a massive impact so yeah go go clean your room
1: just to let you know george i'm stealing one of that quote you just said yeah <laughs> well, i stole it i stole it too so that's part <laughs> of it just... um that Wow. That quote from that university professor is so huge because yeah. I think oftentimes we can underestimate the impact that we can have mm-hmm. on a one single other person. Yeah. And when it comes to the messages or conversations that you have received or been in, you know, through 10 men, George, what has been your most memorable conversation with someone? And I'm more thinking about you know kind of followers that have reached out to you, you know, not really like one-on-one you know professional uh, conversations. I mean, I've had loads.
0: I mean, I've had loads of men who are like suicidal reach out and say like, well, "Your page is one of the things I look forward to every day." And I'm like, "Fucking hell!" Uh, I've had like police officers talk to me about the very thing I'm talking about. Police officers who are basically bought into a very corrupt model of seeing domestic violence where. A man yeah. will call. A man who's being abused will call the police to for help, and they'll they'll have to arrest him, even though he's the one being abused. I get that quite often. I get like lawyers and stuff saying what you're saying is horrific, and I see it every day. I keep going, but in general, I'm overwhelmed by the length and eloquence of the messages I get, particularly from men, particularly men who are suicidal, because men who are suicidal are often characterised caric- caric- as very emotionally limited very Ill- emotionally illiterate and I'm like you should read my DMs I mean you won't because they're all personal yeah. but if you could read them if you had the privilege that I do to be contacted by these men every single day you will see they are the wisdom of suicidal men is something you cannot understand unless you read it for yourself and the fact that they are characterized as emotionally literate men made of stone without a heart is, is horrifying and not true so I'd say that's the biggest thing I've noticed is that how emotionally eloquent and in touch of their feelings men are or at least the men that follow me and message me
1: people reach out to you that are suicidal and tell you how much they look forward to the content that you make i Mm. I can imagine that's a lot of pressure yeah you know george as we wrap up i like to ask this question but i'm going to rephrase it a little bit for you cool what is something you wish people knew about disaffected young men? Um,
0: I would say the problematic, I would say, I'm I'm gonna change it myself to, the problematic men that everyone seems to love creating cultural fear around like men, dangerous men, violent men. I would remind yourself that no one is born bad. No one is sort of violent in that way. Men are the product of their experiences. Often the violent men, we we fear monger around so much. They They are themselves are the victim of a different time. crime often they've experienced crime and violence themselves i mean someone described as hurt people hurt people and like that sort of phrasing really helps understand and it's not to justify violence i'm not trying to justify why there is no justifying violence but i am trying to help people understand why people become violent and often they become violent through experiencing violence or like bullying or abuse in childhood especially and i would say don't try not to see men as some sort of static endpoint see a man as the, the end product of a very very long Oftentimes, difficult journey he's been on, and the same for women. The women that often come into my page—not often, rarely—but they are there, and they're pissed. They hate men, and I'm like, I want to know what's happened to you at the hands of men to make you feel this way. And I'm sorry, whatever happened happened. And if there's any chance you give us a second go, we'd appreciate that. And not—and not to see people as just inherently bad. There are some people that are inherently bad, but very, very small number of people. I have a friend, one of these fierce women that follows me, that is excellent. She's a child clinical psychologist, and she, she talks about there is no normal behavior. Um, sorry, there is no abnormal behavior. There is only a normal response to an abnormal set of experiences. So people might see a violent man as abnormal behavior, but that is just a normal response to an abnormal set of experiences. So instead of seeing his behavior today, ask yourself what might he have experienced uh, in his lifetime to make him this way. And I'd extend that mm-hmm. to women too. I mean, everyone's the product of experience, including myself. So just go grant people a bit more good grace and see them as a product of a lifetime of good and bad experiences.
1: If that's not too long one an answer to your question or too profound. It could never be either, George. George, thank you so much for being an important voice that is needed in media, especially social media right now. Mm. So thank you. Thank you. I'm just, just trying my best. And thank you for having me. Give me the time. And I look-